One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. A year ago, Myanmar the country formerly known as Burma, was on the brink of a new dawn. The National League for Democracy, led by Aung San Suu Kyi, was preparing to take power after winning a landslide victory in free and fair elections, roundly defeating several political parties backed by the military. But the armed forces weren't going to settle for defeat. Well, we are following breaking news out of Myanmar where the military has seized power in a coup. Troops showing up before dawn at the homes of elected lawmakers in Myanmar, arresting them in the dark. The state of emergency is in effect nationwide and the duration of the state of emergency is set to one year. A year on, Myanmar might have slipped from the headlines but it's in more need of global attention than ever before. The military have used brutal force against civilians, but 12 months on, resistance to the coup hasn't flagged. If anything, it's getting stronger. The brave and courageous people of Myanmar have really made loud and clear that they do not like to live under a military dictatorship anymore. And they want a freedom, they want democracy. Nearly 1,500 civilians have been killed in the past year and thousands more imprisoned. The UN human rights chief says what's happening in Myanmar should now be termed a civil war. So what hope for the country's future? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Myanmar's bloody revolution, one year on. The 1st of February, 2021 was supposed to be a historic day for democracy in Myanmar. But as the country awoke, expecting a new government to be formed, all was not as it seemed. In footage that has since gone viral, an aerobics instructor was filming one of her morning dance routines on a roundabout in middle of the capital. Behind her, a convoy of armoured vehicles packed with soldiers is seen converging on Parliament. The military has carried out a coup d'etat in Myanmar. 
they've seized control of the country and detained key government officials, including the country's de facto leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. Troops are patrolling the streets and a nighttime curfew is in force, along with a one-year state of emergency. This is our worst nightmare. Quite clearly, this is the Myanmar military scrapping the democratic experiment. Philip Sherwell, the Sunday Times Asia correspondent, was watching events unfold. This was the day that the new parliament was due to sit. Instead, what it turned out was that the military had moved in and rather than a new government being formed, a very sort of old style of government in Burma was going to be installed and that was a military regime brought to power by a coup. We've also been hearing from one of the key figures from the democratic government. I'm Dr. Sasa. I am uh, serving uh, my country as their spokesperson and also to serving as Myanmar Special Envoy to the United Nations, just being the face and the voice and leader in this very critical time and the darkest moment in our history. Dr. Sasa was due to be made a cabinet minister in the new government on that fateful day before history was interrupted. That morning, when I wake up at around 6, I switch on my mobile phone and I saw it, the signal was dead and I on television, so it's all dead. Internet connectivity and telecommunications outages across Myanmar. Netblock's noting that around 8 o'clock local time, internet connectivity fell to around 50% of normal levels. And when I start to look outside the window, I saw uh, full of military weapons and uh, vehicles surrounding us. I really was thinking it, it, it is, it's a dream. I wish that it was not real. And I was thinking to myself, it, it just, it, it could be a dream. The 1st of February was the day when we are going to form the government. It was just, we are filled with disbelief and outrages. And then only by last time, I begin to know that it was indeed a military coup. So you started the day thinking you were going to be made a minister, and then suddenly everything has stopped. What did you do? What did you do next? I really was thinking, what is next? Will I die? Or, you know, there's a chance for me to, to leave. It was so surrounded, it was so much intense and, you know, immensely dangerous to move around. And the only thing I can think was taxi. Because if it's taxi, then I will have much more chance to leave the place. But the first five or six taxi that I talked to, they don't want it. They don't want to take me because they say it's too dangerous. So I was finally able to persuade one taxi that I will... I introduced myself as also a taxi driver, but from Chi State and not from the local. And then in that way, I was able to make the way out from there as taxi driver. Really, it was in the way a miracle that many checkpoints that we have go through, they, you know, thanks God, they, they do not identify me and they, they look to me as yeah, as, as taxi driver, one of taxi drivers. 
Philip, you've been covering Myanmar for years. Could you just give us a brief history of what rule there has looked like? Well, I, I first went to Burma, as it was then called, in the 1990s. And, you know, if I was meeting anyone who is vaguely critical of the military regime, it was very, very much sort of a meeting away from prying eyes. So one time I remember meeting someone in the bathroom of my hotel room where we'd switched on the water so that, the you know, the taps would be running so that on the presumption the room might be bugged, at least the conversation we could have wouldn't be listened to. It was just very common, even as a tourist in the country then, to find you were being clearly followed. It wasn't very subtle. The junta then, the then incarnation of a military regime, had huge placards all over the country, very Orwellian, sort of telling you of the great works they were doing. There had been previous peaceful uprisings, and most notably in 1988, when there were mass protests in the streets, and which led to Aung San Suu Kyi coming to power. She was then based in Oxford, living with her husband, who was an Oxford don, but she came from a very, very well-established Burmese family. Her father was the hero of independence from the British Aung San before his assassination. So she'd been visiting her old mother in Rangoon when these massive protests started, and she very quickly emerged from really no political role to being the champion of this pro-democracy cause. She ended up spending 15 of the next 20 years under house arrest at her family villa next to a, a lake in Rangoon. And military rule just ran and ran until the easing earlier this century. How did we go from a moment where Aung San Suu Kyi was in prison effectively to the moment where suddenly the country did seem to be opening up? Well, there were reformers in the military who saw the desperate state of the economy. Burma was subject to very strict sanctions. There were forces within the military who sort of saw a benefit to allowing a partial transition to democracy while maintaining very strict military control over issues such as the defence forces, internal security. So they did start to, you know, they negotiated with Suu Kyi. They released her from house arrest. She was allowed to run parliament. Generals took off their uniforms and put on civilian clothes and moved into senior positions. But still the sort of speed of this change took a lot of people by surprise. And when fairly free and elect fair elections were held and allowed in 2015, the uh, National League for Democracy won its first landslide. Aung San Suu Kyi and the people of Myanmar have waited 25 years since the last free election in their country to get to this point today. And the NLD, the National League for Democracy, her party, has won that crucial majority to take the government and to lead the country. And when they were in power, was it sort of like normal government or was there still an influence from the military? There was a very strong influence from the military, particularly on, on security affairs. She had no say over that. There were also sort of military appointees uh, in key positions in government commissions. And the military also, under the terms of the constitution under which they handed over power, had guaranteed a 25% block in parliament of military appointed MPs, which is enough to mean that they had a veto on any constitutional or major changes. So she had a freer hand on trying to oversee some liberalisation of the economy and on some domestic issues, but very much the, uh, the military was looming large in terms of how the country was governed. So, Philip, why, why the coup? I mean, the, 
Aung San Suu Kyi had just won another landslide. They were about to form a new government. Given that when she last led a government, the military still had quite a lot of power, why did they feel the need to put a stop to to any sort of democratic well, a lot of this comes down to personalities. The military commander-in-chief, Min Ong Lang, who is the coup leader and leads the junta now, he had really expected various pro-military proxy parties to do better in the November elections. He and Su Chi had an extremely acrimonious relationship and had stopped talking to each other. And he was also, we you know, believe, strongly alarmed about the fact he was due to be retiring in that coming year. He was going to have to step down and was concerned about potential prosecutions over the ethnic cleansing of Rohingya Muslims and other atrocities committed by the military. So you have a combination of this very divisive relationship between the two most powerful people in the country and Min Ong Lang's sort of personal concerns and his ambitions. And he seems to have found it unacceptable and untenable and unimaginable that the parties that he backed had done so badly in the November elections. That's so interesting. So is he effectively the man in charge now? Yes, yes, he is the, you know, he is the country's dictator. He is the head of the armed forces, which staged the coup. And he is the leader of the State Administration Council, which is the, the name the junta has given itself. There is always been some debate about whether he might face rivalries or coups against the coup within the military. But at the moment, there's no signs of any splits in the in the military, the armed forces, which are known as the Tatmador. And yes, he's got what seems to be untrammeled power at the moment. Tell us a bit about the Tatmador. I mean, they've effectively run the country for more than half a century now. How, how do they operate? They are a very elitist, insular organisation. They see themselves as the most essential organisation or body in the country. They have been fighting these civil wars against ethnic minorities since independence from Britain in 1948. They believe only they have held the country together. Their barracks, their garrisons set up in the country outside the, the main cities. They, they recruit from a sort of very you know, elite backgrounds, and they don't really mix with civil society and, and regular life. Min Ong Lang and the people around him now sort of believe that, you know, their big mistake previously was to allow Aung San Suu Kyi out. It was to allow some greater liberalisation. They don't look back now and sort of think that that was a sign of progress. They look back and think that was a sign of weakness by previous military leaders and dictators. When the army take five cabinet top posts and 25% of parliamentary seats by the military. That means heavy veto over constitution. That's Dr. Sasser again, de facto spokesperson for Myanmar's deposed civilian government. But on the other hand, there was really the people's will and the people's desire for freedom, for peace, for stability for prosperity. And as the government of Myanmar and NLD-led, our focus was really to alleviate the pain and the suffering of the people of Myanmar. We have suffered so much for so long, for the last at least 60 years under Burma army generous rules. And as you say, the, the military junta in Myanmar has been a huge presence in the country. They've run it for an awful lot of the last half century. Talk us through how it's affected you. I mean, you're from the younger generation. What was your childhood like? How did you end up becoming 
a politician. It's not by choice. I think it's by really responsibility. And really, I feel so much responsibility for my people, particularly when I saw the suffering and the pain and the deaths and destructions that the people have suffered for several decades. As a young boy uh, born in a tiny village in Chi State where there's no running water, no electricity, no road, no hospital. And I saw in my childhood, you know, three childhood friends die to diarrhea from on the same day. They are from the same family. And I was thinking to myself, I could be the next to die. And also, the 1992, when I was still very young in the village, the military then decided to send their forces across Chin State and even to my small village. And when they come, and we never see before forces like that. We never see anybody holding guns and weapons and coming to villages. So they start to occupy our small village and they start to target the women and raping in my village and start arresting the ordinary villagers and torturing them. It was just unspeakable and unbelievable. And it's traumatic to our mental. And till today, I can never forget those moments that I have witnessed. And I even don't like to speak it. It was just, you know, like forced labor, torture, killing, and rape become the daily life for those innocents and ordinary people on top of the dying in the absence of healthcare. How did you manage to lift yourself out of that? It was really, in a way, I think it's a miracle. I really do not know when I look back now and reflect that, that how do I survive? It's a miracle, really, because I have lost so many of my friends. You know, just so I'm lucky enough that I'm 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 alive. Philip, last year the world watched these images of the coup unfolding. After that, and I suppose it's partly because of COVID, we haven't had very much coverage of what life has been like inside Myanmar since the coup happened. What are you hearing about what the last year has looked like? It's been devastating. The economy is in free fall. Now, this is partly because of foreign investment drying up. It's because of the absolute disruption of the coup itself. And it's also because one of the big forms of protest has been something called the civil disobedience movement, which is basically mass strikes, primarily of public sector workers, but, you know, of transport workers, of people in key roles. So the place is in free fall. Really, the last 11 months has been every day is the day of terror. And every day is the day of somebody being killed and arrested. And every day is the day of loss and deaths and destruction and devastation. That's what what we have seen as a result of the consequence of this military failed coup is so big. They declared a war on the people of Myanmar. They have killed innocent civilian people of Myanmar. And more than 12,000 people of Myanmar are being arrested illegally, unjustly. 
by the military junta, including our president, Aung San Suu Kyi. What happened to Aung San Suu Kyi? The former Nobel laureate was seen as the face of democracy in the region. But why has there been so little campaigning in the West to secure her release? We'll have more in a moment. But first. I'm Anthony Lloyd, war correspondent for The Times. It's you who enables me to report from some of the most volatile environments in the world. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Philip, what do we know about Aung San Suu Kyi and and what's happened to her now? Well, Aung San Suu Kyi is facing a raft of charges that have been brought, very tendentious, clearly trumped up, it would seem to any outside eye. They range from the fact that when she was detained on February the 1st, walkie-talkies were found at her residence, which obviously were used by her security detail. I can't imagine Aung San Suu Kyi on a walkie-talkie, but she was charged with illegal possession of walkie-talkies. She's been charged with going out and campaigning during the election and breaking pandemic public health rules. She's been charged, though, also with breaking the Official Secrets Act and with mass corruption and with election fraud. And all these charges could add up to her sentences cumulatively more than 100 years. So their mission is that we won't see Aung San Suu Kyi again. And Philip, in the past, when she was under house arrest for 15 years, there was quite a big concerted effort in the West to campaign for her freedom. It seems to be a, a little bit more muted now. Is that partly because having been in power, she has a more complicated image and sort of quite a a difficult legacy. Yes, and that all comes down to ethnic cleansing campaign of the Rohingya Muslims in Rakhine State. The photographs provided to Reuters by a Buddhist village elder don't lie. The first shows the 10 Rohingya captives lined up in a row. 
The second, taken the day after, shows their slain bodies in a mass grave. August 2017, the, the military unleashed a, a brutal scorched earth offensive against the country's Rohingya Muslim community. They burnt villages, they massacred civilians. When they were taking them away, they said, do not worry, we will send your sons back soon. We are taking them for a meeting. But the army claimed it was simply fighting militant insurgents, but everything from the testimony of survivors, and, and I interviewed many with really desperate, searing tales in refugee camps across the border, illustrated this was very much a coordinated campaign and one that the UN later denounced as a textbook example of ethnic cleansing. On that issue, her reputation as this sort of champion of democracy and, and free speech has been, I think, forever tarnished for many outside the country. She was not in charge of the military or security forces at any stage during her time in power, but nor was she publicly speaking out to condemn their actions, or was she evidently trying to organise attempts to sort of frustrate their actions. Thank you, Mr President and members of the court. It is an honour to appear as agent of the Union of the Republic of Myanmar in these proceedings in my capacity... And indeed, famously, when prosecution was brought to The Hague in an initial hearing, she travelled there to, to explain and defend the actions of the military while acknowledging that crimes against humanity may have taken place. Mr President, it cannot be ruled out that disproportionate force was used by members of the defence services, in some cases, in disregard of international humanitarian law. But these are determinations to be made in the due course of the criminal justice process. Please bear in mind this complex situation and the challenge to sovereignty and security in our country when you are assessing the intent of those who attempted to deal with the rebellion. Surely, under the circumstances, genocidal intent cannot be the only hypothesis. I think that for many people and for many who had expended political capital on her in the past, there was a feeling that um, here was a Nobel Peace Prize winner who, when you strip away the nuancing, was um, standing up in The Hague to rationalise at best and to defend at worst the um, actions of a military that had conducted a very brutal ethnic cleansing campaign and was then ultimately to bring her down too. Dr. Sasso, do you think there's a possibility that some of your movement's oldest supporters were worried by what the government under Aung San Suu Kyi, how they treated the Rohingya? Did that leave a lasting impression on some of your support in the West? We can not undo all what have been done in the past. And I have publicly outspoken for our Rohingya brothers and sisters. In fact, I'm the first person, a leader, who call by their names, Rohingya brothers and sisters. We are fighting for the justice for Rohingya. And we have made clear that we would deliver justice for our Rohingya brothers and sisters. It was very much, I think, the military generals are to blame. If you talk about Do Aosasuchi, who are giving to her the information about Rohingya crisis? She was not there by herself, but it's the military generals who are giving all that kind of misinformation to Do Aosasuchi. 
And then I think she was totally misled in many, many ways. But I also can understand why international community and the Western world particularly upset in that issue. And now I think, as I said, the situation is now totally changed and the leadership is different. I think the really international community and the Western world and our Rohingya brothers and sisters really can count on us. I really hope and pray that international community, especially free and democratic world, Western world, will see us as their partner and allies, not just only now, but most importantly in the future. For that, we have been really asking international community, particularly Western world, to help us in this our most difficult time. You know, it's been a huge frustration for people inside the country who sort of thought they'd been once held up as poster boys of democratic change and then found when there was this crunch and when there was this coup, no one was coming to their help. And that has actually really cemented that sense of solidarity and resistance within the country that they've got to do it for themselves. That's, you know, it's it's down to them now. I think the brave and courageous people of Myanmar have really made loud and clear that they do not like to live under a military dictatorship anymore. And they want the freedom, they want democracy. Since the 1st of February, in, in many places, people will just have gave up because it's too difficult, too painful. But the people of Myanmar courageously and bravely have protests against the military rule in Myanmar. The peoples of Myanmar resilience and perseverance never surrender and never give it up to these dreams of a free Myanmar and this dream of a free and democratic Myanmar. It's loud and clear. Philip, you've watched Myanmar for a couple of decades now. You've you've seen the country go through great change. What are your thoughts about its future? I think the country is in a very grim and dark stage. I have two sets of forces there, military and then the anti-junta resistance, which is so widespread and so ingrained and amongst people who really thought they'd emerge from these worst times and would not be going back to them. It's very difficult to see how either of those sides really make progress. Parts of the country are already in civil war. There is open revolt in many other ways, and it could get much worse, yes. It could spiral into a much deeper conflict. Dr. Sasser, it's clearly been a really difficult year since since the coup happened. What are your hopes for what Myanmar's future might be? The militaries in Myanmar, I mean, they lost in every front. They have lost politically. They have lost morally. They have lost diplomatically. They have lost economically. They want to build military dictatorship as country political system. But the people of Myanmar have 
make it clear and loud that they want to build a democratic political system. So there's no compromising or no negotiable on that tyranny and freedom. You know, we have chosen freedom and they have chosen tyranny. These anti-military coup are getting stronger and stronger every day. So I think they also see that it's happening and they have admitted that they do not foresee all this anti-coup coming. Therefore, they have no strategy. They are committing even massacre because they are so desperate to creep on power. And it's not a question of if you win this struggle or this revolution. The question is when you will win. And we are winning. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Dr. Sasser from the deposed civilian government of Myanmar, and Philip Sherwell, Asia correspondent for The Sunday Times. You can read more of Philip's work at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Taryn Siegel. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.